Thank you, God, for your gracious love and mercy that has brought us to this point. Thank you, God, that one more time this side of eternity I am privileged to stand and talk to the people of God. I thank you for your word that is eternal, infallible, and inerrant. And I ask you for something of which I am not worthy. I ask you to touch me with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that I might speak with grace and truth this morning. Let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. We had a wonderful time talking last Sunday about the great spectacular throne of God in heaven. And uh, we learned some very good news, and that is that not just heavenly beings are going to be there. That there will be some people that will be there uh, who are people on the earth that have believed the report of the Lord and have believed what was preached and spoken of by, by prophets and by, by seers and people that were close to the Lord all of these many centuries. The Bible does not want us to be ignorant concerning future events. In fact, the Bible says, Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning the coming of the Lord. He said, I, I don't want you to be unrehearsed uh, and to be uninformed uh, about the things of God that are going to take place in the future. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk to you today about uh, what, where Jerry Irwin is coming from and what the Bible says according to how I perceive the Word of God. But I need to tell you that the book of Revelation is a speculative book. It is written in apocalyptic writing, which uh, means it's difficult to understand. It's symbols. And uh, when uh, we talk about the seven horns uh, on the head of the, the Lamb of God, uh, that's difficult for us to decipher and uh, hard for us to get through that uh, finite mind of ours. When we talk about a, uh, on his head were many crowns, uh, that's hard for us to perceive because you hadn't got enough heads to have many crowns. But uh, that's symbolic and those things mean something, but not necessarily what you've always taught that it, uh, that it meant. And uh, it behooves us then to know, the Bible said, knowing the time, knowing the time. Anybody know the time? What does your clock say about the time? Do you think the coming of the Lord is near? Do you think that the Lord any day could come and do no injustice to Scripture? Do you believe that He could come? Do you know of anything to prevent His coming? Is there anything else to be fulfilled in Scripture before He comes? Well, you've answered correctly because there is nothing more to take place because the coming of the Lord is going to be, well, some say in two phases. I, I say it this way. When the rapture of the church, the catching of the way of the saints happens, the Lord is not coming all the way back to this earth. He will stop somewhere between where we are and where he is now and he will be in the air that's all I know to tell you about that because it's all the Bible says and the next verse said the dead in Christ will rise and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up 
together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. First time you see Jesus will be in the air. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In other words, once we get into his presence, we will never leave his presence. That fellowship will be uninterrupted for eternity. You will be in the presence of God. Do you remember how it used to feel when you had a great service? When the Holy Spirit would come down and hearts would be blessed and the saints would rejoice and praise and worship the Lord and there's such a good feeling about that, good mellowness about it. and The uh, Holy Spirit was there and it was so sweet. Well, that's what heaven's going to be like. I mean, the good thing about it is you won't have to go home and go to bed and forget about what happened at church. It'll be uninterrupted. You can just live in the presence of the Lord Jesus. We will never leave His presence once we attain His presence. And then there are things that will take place when we get to heaven. Now, some have asked about the glorified body. And some have asked, Brother, where are the dead now? Well, we consist, as you look at me today, I consist of a tabernacle, a house, a body. This is me, uh, such as it is, what's left of it. Amen. But this is the house that the real me lives in. The real me uh, is on the inside, my soul and my spirit. This is my body, and the Bible called it the earthly house of this tabernacle. And Paul said, if the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, we have another building, another house, another body. Amen. And we call it the glorified body. Amen. And that glorious tabernacle that he has made for us to live in, we, we, we say it this way, saying, we'll never grow old, for time will be no more. The angel will appear and swear that time will be no more. Isn't it going to be great to live in a time when time will be no more? And when you won't have to worry about what time it is because it's the same time it was when you asked that before. It will be the same time all the time. And the Bible said, neither can they die anymore. And they shall be equal to the angels being the children of God and the children of the resurrection. Wow. So, though angels could not sing redemption song because they weren't purchased by blood, and they have not sinned, but we will be equal to the angels being the children of God. Hey, God has made us family. You're a king's kid. In the sight of the Lord, you're very precious. People who die in the Lord are precious. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Praise God. Why is that so precious to God when we come in here and have a funeral? Because one of his family has come home. Glory to God. What a thought that is. It's, it's tough to come into this house and see our loved ones 
lying here before us and we go through the eulogy and we go through and we go out these doors and go and deposit that earthly house of that tabernacle to mother earth dust to dust ashes to ashes and give it back to God who gave it but I want to tell you when we're doing all of that that person is not present with us you've got the house that they lived in but they're not there immediately I said immediately when they drew their last breath and that heart pumped its last beat of blood immediately that soul and that spirit left that house some believes like me that the angels come and get the soul and the spirit of the righteous. Why do you believe that? Because when Jesus in Luke 16 was talking about the rich man and Lazarus, the Bible said that Lazarus died and the angels came and got his soul and carried it to Abraham's bosom. You see, there was a time when all souls and spirits went down. There was a time when all souls and spirits, both righteous and unrighteous, went dead to a place called Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. It literally means prison. And all souls and spirits went at that time to Sheol. Now, Sheol had two compartments. One compartment is called Hades. That's a word for hell. And there was a great gulf between that compartment and another compartment that is called Abraham's bosom. Now, if you were to just look at it here, there's an aisle that's dividing. And I don't want to put you in hell or out. I've kind of got myself painted in a corner here. And imagine one side to be Abraham's bosom and the other side, sorry folks, to be Hades. Randy said it's getting warm over this way. <clears throat> but that gulf there prohibits anyone from going back and forth. And when that occurrence happened with the rich man and Lazarus, the Bible said, and the rich man also died. And in hell, angels didn't come get him. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. So what that tells us is there is a consciousness after death. That though a person is disembodied, a soul and spirit is disembodied. That's a big old word to say they're not there. And though that disembodied soul and spirit is apart from the body, that soul and that spirit has a consciousness an awareness. They know where they are. They know where they've been. They know where they're going. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible said, seeing then as we are encamped about by so great of an innumerable host of witnesses. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the righteous souls and spirits of the righteous dead. What are they witnessing? They're witnessing how you're running this race. 
Because, because when, hallelujah, when he was talking about this observance of us, he said, therefore, let us run this race with patience as it is set before us. In other words, somebody has laid out already the race track for me. Glory to God. And my objective then is to run my race with patience, waiting for the coming of the Lord, waiting for the day when I will receive an invitation to come upward, one or the other. Amen. And when the Lord comes back, the Bible said, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Now, the soul part of us, Nephesh, the soul part of us is that that makes us aware and conscious of what is going on around us in this world. The spirit is that part of us that connects us by faith to a spirit world. Boy, praise God. I hope you're connected soul and spirit. Because when the apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, 523, he said, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y, meaning all of you. And I pray, God, that your whole soul and your body and your spirit be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. And the Bible said, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Glory to God. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. In other words, when his coming happens in the air and we're caught up to meet him in the air, Praise God. That's called the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, for on such the second death hath no power. Glory to God. What is the second death? The Bible said the beast and the false prophet were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Praise God. That doesn't have any power on me that doesn't scare me one bit because I'm not going to be in that number praise God I'm not going to be in that that number that is left behind that is judged and God says to them depart from me I never knew you that is judged by God and is saying go into darkness that place that the, that second death is a terrible terrible place and the sad part about it is where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Now, I get no pleasure in preaching that, but it's as much of the Scripture as the other I preach, so I must give it valuable time. No one gets any good out of preaching about judgment and wrath and suffering. Nobody does. And that's why we're given this urgency Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. While the evil days come not, nor the time draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I find no pleasure in them. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time.
Hey, that door is wide open this morning. Whosoever will, let him come. That door is wide open today. It's saying to you, if you want to escape all of these things that pastor's preaching about, then go through the door. Jesus said, I am the door, and if any man shall enter in by me, he shall be saved. Saved. So then, souls and spirits of the righteous dead are absent from their body. But where are they? But they are present with the Lord. You took the body out, put it in the ground, but the soul and the spirit had left before that. And it's in the presence of Almighty God where the Bible said there's joy and there's bliss and there's pleasure evermore at His right hand. Well, then what is my glorified body going to look like? What, what's it going to be like? Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Who shall change? Whew. The prophet said, when my change comes. Oh, glory to God, aren't you looking forward to your change? I'm looking forward to my change. Who shall change our vile body? What do you mean by vile body? That one that gets breast cancer. That one that has brain tumors. That one that catches the pandemic, COVID. That, that vile body. He said, I'm going to change that one. That's not the one you're going to live in eternity with. That's the one that has fear and fright and frustration and sorrow. That's the one that is prone to mental illness. That's, that's prone to anxiety. And he said, he will change that vile body. Listen to this. And shall fashion. See that word up there? And fashion it like unto his own glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself glory to god fashion that's a good word somebody say fashion fashion he will change our vile body and fashion it like unto his own glorious body are you saying, Pastor, then, that my glorified body, when I rise in the resurrection, I'm going to have a body that is going to be like His? 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now that we are become the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know. That's what kicks in. But I know. But I know. Can anybody say, but I know? We don't know what that body that shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself even as he is pure. I hope that's meaning something to you today. In his likeness, David said, when I awaken his likeness, then shall my soul be satisfied. In the likeness of the Lord, sown in weakness, raised in power.
sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Whoo, glory to God. Sown in weakness, raised in power. What a wonderful body that glorified body is going to be. Neither can they die anymore. Whoo. Why would anybody not want to live for the Lord, Brother Don? My goodness, look what we've got in front of us. They used to sing, Mark, too many miles behind me. Too many rivers I've crossed. Too many sunsets lie behind the mountain. I've got too much to gain to lose. Too much to gain to lose. Praise God if you're at that point. You, you need to say, thank you, God. I'm nearer home than I was yesterday. Each day I, I just get closer to what God's got in store for me. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? Amen. That when this earthly thing falls apart, God's got the remedy. And he'll fashion it like unto his own glorious body. Well, he made 40 appearances after he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that he got into an upper room where the disciples were gathered. They were scared to death and afraid the Romans was going to track them down and kill all them too. So they were hiding behind closed doors. Nobody knew where they were. But Jesus is good at finding you when nobody knows where you are. The Word of God usually will track you down, but Jesus will find you too. When he came into that upper room, there was a fellow that was called Thomas. And what do you name him? Doubting Thomas. That poor fellow, he is forever stuck with that handle on his name. Doubting Thomas. It's like Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. It just sticks, doesn't it? But when he came to that doubting disciple he says to him i heard thomas that you said you would not believe unless you could put your hand on the prince and could feel the scars from the crown and put your hand in my side where the spear pierced it yes lord i said that but i believe now lord i believe help thou my unbelief and Jesus said, blessed are you because you've come to the light and discovered the truth. But blessed are those people who never have touched and never have felt, but still they believe. Is that you? Praise God, that's me. Well, what did he do with his glorified body? Well, the Bible says that he ate fish that night in that upper room. So if mine is like his, then my glorified body can eat also. Because he ate with his glorified body, he ate fish. You're going to eat the marriage supper of the Lamb with your glorified body. Oh, hallelujah. What's on the menu? The Bible said many of them would come from the east and many of them would come from the west, from the north and from the south, and they will sit down together at the table of our God and eat the marriage supper of the Lamb. Praise God. 
Well, Brother Jerry, he must have been a ghost of some kind. Now you've watched too much Halloween movies. Wasn't a ghost. He said, touch me. Handle me. Put your hands on me. Feel of me, he said. And see that it is I myself and not another. I'm not an imposter. I'm not playing charades with you. I'm the real Jesus. See that it is I myself. Listen. For a spirit hath not flesh and bone like you see me have. Oh, glory to God, Michelle. That means my glorified body is going to have flesh and bone. And I'm sorry, but it said we shall know as we are known. So that tells me Jerry Irwin's probably going to look like Jerry Irwin. Now, a lot of you thought you was going to trade off that old mug of yours, but you're just going to look like you It's heaven. It won't matter to you up there. Everything will be pretty up there. A glorious body fashioned like his own glorified body. Then, Pastor, Pastor, where is my mama? Where is my daddy? Where are my brothers and sisters? Where are the dead? They're right now in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, right now. Waiting for one thing to happen, and that's the sound of the trumpet. Only the sound of the trumpet keeps me from going home. Glory to God, that's great, isn't it? Only the sound of the trumpet keeps me from going home. So when I, I get into his presence, when we're caught away, and we go to meet the Lord in the air, and we're gathered around that throne you preached about last Sunday, then what, what's the next thing that's going to happen? We, we see him as the lamb and the lion. Lion's mentioned only once. Lamb's mentioned 28 times. And when he talked about a, a lamb, a regular old lamb in Palestine is called a awan, a sacrificial lamb that is going to die for sins is called a arion. And when the Bible talks about sacrificial lambs that are going to be offered, they're always called arion, never awan. Hallelujah. Sound like I'm speaking in tongues, huh? That's Hebrew for what they called those special lambs that lived in their houses with them. That was the family pet that they loved that lamb. But there came a time when that lamb had to shed its blood for the people. And though it was loved and cherished, but it was a, like a member of the family, it had to give its life. That's a picture of Jesus. We loved him. But he had to leave the family of man and go and be offered and have blood shed so that remission for sin could be realized by us. Boy, that's powerful, isn't it? So then when we see a lamb standing in the midst of the throne, and the Bible said that he went and took the book, the seven scroll book, seven sealed book, and he opened it up. And when he opened it up, I finally got to where we're going today, didn't I? Chapter 6 says this, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, 
And I heard one of the four living creatures. Now, that's not lions and tigers and elephants and such. It's four created beings that do nothing but cry holy, holy, holy night and day. And one of those four living creatures said with a loud voice like thunder. Must have been pretty loud, wasn't it? But there was a thunder bumper come through this week in the night, wasn't it? Did it wake you up? Well, I know if it woke some of you up, it had to be a pretty loud thunder. Rattle the windows kind, huh? That's about what like this was. And that voice said, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. Some said, oh, that's Jesus. No, don't get confused here. Jesus is the lamb, got the book in his hand, loosening seals. This is a picture of a personality that will come when we're gone. Felt a streak of Holy Ghost right then. He will come when we are gone. And I looked and I beheld a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given unto him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. There will be a person. Now, when the time John wrote this, he said many antichrists are going out into the world. The word is antichristos. And it literally means against Christ. The word that is used for this personality here is pseudo-Christos. Means a new one, a, an other one. One who says he is the Christ and he is a new one, a pseudo-Christos. Not just the ordinary person that is against Jesus. This person claims to be the Christ. And he says, if everybody will just listen to me, we'll solve all the problems in the world. The Bible said his theme would be peace and safety. But when the people began crying peace and safety, the Bible said they shall be destroyed and that without remedy. Right after we leave, immediately the Bible said people would embrace the pseudo-Christos. And he would gain popularity. He would reassemble the old Roman Empire in Europe. And he would become the great personality. He would eventually lead the world to a one-world government, a one-world bank, a one-world currency. And he would sit himself upon that throne. Now the Bible says that he would make a covenant with Jewish people. Now, if you could go with me to Daniel chapter 9. You cannot look at Revelation without looking at Daniel. Daniel says this in the 19th verse. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And while I was speaking that prayer, whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, 
being caused to fly swiftly. And he touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show you, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter. Understand the matter. Understand the matter. Boy, this whole thing is so, so powerfully put together by God. And the angel is saying, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks, verse 24 of chapter 9. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now let me stop right there and tell you there are two 70-week periods that are talked about here in Daniel's uh, prophecy. The first is the Babylonian. When the people of Israel had done so terribly wrong in the sight of God and had gone after strange gods and been idolatrous, had been adulterous and had adopted pagan gods, and it angered God so that he, the Bible said through Jeremiah and the other prophets, that he was going to send chastisement and send correction upon the people of God. Now, it's terrible that the people of God are so stubborn and will venture away from God. It's sad. That's a terrible thing. Always happens when you turn away from God. And the Bible said that God said the Babylonians are going to come. You're going to have an invasion by the Chaldeans. And they came and plundered and, and did it. Did they call it an abomination, was it? An abomination upon the altars and tore down the temple and raised the building and destroyed the city and uh, murdered and captured. They took the fairest of them, the good-looking ones that would make good slaves, and they took them away in captivity unto Babylon. And that's how you get the three Hebrew children story. That Nebuchadnezzar, these three the Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, because that's not their name, but that's what the Chaldeans gave them. When you get in captivity, you assume different names. You're not who God wants you to be. Boy, a lot of preaching there. I got to go on. And that's where you get Daniel in the lion's den with Nebuchadnezzar's son, Darius. So these 70 period of the Babylonians, but God said, but I will not let that happen always. He said, I will bring you back. I will bring you back. And when Ezra the scribe and all the other prophets of that time, Obadiah, they all brought the people of God back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And there was a, a writ that was uh, manifested by Cyrus. Cyrus the Great in the edict of 445 B.C. He passed an edict that the people of God could go back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah was servant to the king, to the Persian king. And the Bible said that he looked at Nehemiah, and Nehemiah said, O king, said, my people are under great reproach. The walls are torn down at Jerusalem. The gates are burned. And I'm very, very distraught over it. 
And Cyrus said, here are letters to the foresters. Go and get cedars of Lebanon and rebuild the, wall, the gates. Here are masons. Here's a camel train. Here, here's the letter. You can go under my name and say, I have sent you. And they'll do what you tell them to do. He said, you go and rebuild those walls. That was in 445 B.C. Now, that was when they went back home to, to Israel. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. So, this was the command by the edict of Cyrus in 445 to go back and rebuild the walls and to deliver the people from their oppression. And from that time, he said, 70 weeks is a period of time, 62 weeks until the coming of the prince, the Messiah. There's no break between the 62nd week and the seven weeks in that interlude. No break. It goes right on. And it ends and culminates with the coming of the prince, Messiah. That means when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, on that first Easter Sunday morning down Palm Sunday way, amen, and that ended the 69th week. Now, we are in an interlude right now between the 69th and the 70th week. It's called the law of the Gentiles. It's called the open door. It's called the grace dispensation. It's called the church age. Because right now, salvation is available. And right now, repentance is accepted by God. But like I told you last Sunday, when Jesus is no longer sitting making intercession, but now he's standing taking the role, then he has become judge, not Savior, but judge. And it very much resembles a courtroom of Joel chapter 7 verse 10. And when God judges the sins of the people that did not know God, that were rebellious and hard-hearted and stiff-necked and would not accept the provision of God's redemptive provision, and that terrible wrath and indignation would be poured out upon them. Come on, Olivia, and help me quit. After that 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Cut off. Do you, you know what that meant? Calvary. Calvary. At the end of the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it be with a flood until the end of the war the desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That means seven years. A week means seven. He would confirm his covenant with them for a, a week. Listen to what it says. Then he shall confirm the covenant, but in the middle of the week, now, what does that mean? That means 42 months of the 84 months that he made the covenant. In the middle of the week, he will break his covenant. And he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering that he allowed the Jewish people to do. 
and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation. Wow. What that means is, and I'll paraphrase for you till I finish. What that means is that in the middle of the week, the Antichrist would break his policy with the Jews. That he would relocate from somewhere in Europe where he had his headquarters and would relocate to Jerusalem. In fact, the temple would be rebuilt and he would sit in the temple and demand to be worshipped as God. Boy, it's quiet in here. And then he will command that nobody can buy or sell or do any kind of market, no kind of sales, no kind of buying, none of that, unless you have a mark. And it's called the mark of the beast. Boy, it gets quiet when I even say that, doesn't it? Because we know that that is a mark of identification for people that are not in fellowship with God. People that don't know God, that don't worship God. They don't serve Him and will readily take the mark of the beast. Now, as we go further, we'll find some folks in the next message that refused to take that mark and died for the word of their testimony. And with the loosening of the fifth seal, we find them crying out to God from the altar, saying, How long, O Lord, most holy and true, dost thou not avenge our blood upon them that dwell upon the face of the earth? And God says, Give those people a white robe. Give them a white robe. And tell them to be patient, because the time has not come yet. What is that, Pastor? That's people that died for the word of their testimony. And people that their souls, not their body, but their souls and their spirits are from under the altar. And they cry out and ask for vengeance from God. And he says, no, no, no. Wait till the time. Give them a robe and let them know they're saved. Let them know that everything's going to be all right. But it's not time yet. And he said, in that book that I've written their name in, he said, I'm not going to blot their name out of that book. And he said, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Glory to God. And then someone asked the question, who are these people? And where did they come from? And the angel said, sir, thou knowest these are they that have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. Glory to God. God always issues grace. Grace always preempts judgment. God always provides a provision, a redemptive provision. When he announces that wrath is coming, that judgment is coming, he always makes a provision, always makes time for grace. And brother, that's where we're at right now, is that time of grace, that time of grace. Well, I'm enjoying this talking about Revelation with you. Stand with me, please.
But could I just ask you before you leave this morning that if you're not real sure about your salvation, I want you to know that before you leave here today, you can know. The Bible says, Brother Mark, in Him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. Know we that we're in Him. If you're here and you know you're in Christ, let me see your hand. I know that I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, I don't see a one that didn't raise their hand, so I assume we're all saved. All saved. Well, then we need to be praising God that we're not going to this time I'm talking about. We're going to be in that number. I'm in that number. Are you in that number? Thank God I'm in that number. I'm in that white robe wearing bunch. I'm in that bunch that's got my name in the book. Amen. And I'm going to rejoice about it. And I'm going to praise God about it. Aren't you? Amen. Thank you, God, for letting us be in your house today. Thank you for letting us celebrate the wonderful grace of God and the provision of God. For you have not appointed us unto wrath, but you've appointed us unto salvation through the Lord Jesus. And you've given us the grace of God that we may escape the wrath which is to come. We love you, God. We're your people, and we just lift up holy hands unto you, and we give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, all the worship, because you alone are worthy, O Lord our God, and we praise you today. Dismiss us from this place, but not your side in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.